Let's pray. <clears throat> Father, you are a great God. You are a perfect God. You are a just God. Please help us as we discuss this chapter on this prayer that Jesus gave to his disciples, this instruction. Lord, help us to see and consider how we now pray and how we might pray in a way that is more reverent and more honoring to you. Lord, give us wisdom and give us the ability to follow through. Pray this so that you would be honored. This chapter came to a number of conclusions in my own prayer life after first going through it. I'm curious if any of you have come to any conclusions or any modifications as to how you might pray. I think the principles that we've been talking about are the same in that God does not want stale prayer. God does not want vain repetition. God does not want irreverence. He does not desire us coming to him out of habit. He desires our hearts. And while we can say all these wonderful words, and I think to a certain extent, people will sometimes alter their prayers when praying in public because they don't want to sound like they're putting on a show, which is good. At the same time, considering the example that he gives as to how to address God, I think it's right for us to consider how we might do that in some way, even when praying in public. So, all right, let's jump in. So we're starting on page 65. I don't know about you all, but I underlined a lot, and I starred a lot. So I am not anticipating getting through this chapter this whole week, or this week, but we'll see. We'll see. I'll do my best to not talk too much. All right. Hallowed be your name. Any thoughts on page 65 or 66? Jonathan, did you raise your hand? Of course. Yeah, it's interesting thinking about how the Jews were so afraid to misuse his name that they changed it and 
took the consonants from one and the vowels from another and made up their own version uh, so that they would not even speak his name. They had a, an extremely high sense of reverence and hopefully we can appreciate the idea behind that and yet, you know, by the time Christ came, they honored him with, his, with their lips, but their hearts were far from him. And that's one of the dangers that we can fall into. Bruce? What did the Gentiles call him? Did they call him Jehovah? That's a great question. Uh, I haven't looked into it. Do you have any insight on what they called him? I mean, so... I mean, mostly they didn't because the Israelites were not very good. <laughs> so, sure. But that is a good question. Maybe worth looking at. So in the New Testament, um, I meant to look this up. Do you know what the most utilized word for God is? You, the Greek word? Okay. I don't remember if it's... Uh, I feel like Cornelius is called a God-fearer. So, like, what they called him is, I think, harder to answer, but, like, their relationship to him, you had, like, three groups of people. You had pagans, you had um, God-fearers who, like, gave alms and prayed, but that was about it. And then you had proselytes who, as best they could... Yeah, I'll, I'll look it up, because I am curious. I was thinking about that, too. And here's one thing, just looking at the Old Testament. All of his names shared, one of his, shared an attribute or a characteristic of who he was. So MacArthur makes a comment. I can't remember if it was him or if he was quoting somebody. That uh, the most precious name of God is Jesus Christ. So, uh, we know that it wasn't pronounced Jesus, it was basically Joshua or Yeshua, and so I don't know if that was maybe one of the most common ways that they referred to God, but obviously there was more than that, because when they said, you know, Jesus is God, what word was that? So, yeah, we'll look into that. But I think the, the point is that even, uh, even Christ is uh, a description of who he was. That he is Messiah. He is the anointed one. So if we look at a lot of these names, like, like he says, Adonai or El Shaddai or Elohim or all of these they all describe an aspect of God. And I think from this instruction, the point, the, one of the main points is 
that we do view God and his name as holy and that we utilize it in a way that is honoring to him. And so whether we say El Shaddai when we pray or if we say the Lord God Almighty, same idea, but we're we're giving reverence to who he is by that name. Um, Or if we just say, Lord God, you are the omnipotent one or you are the one with all the power, we're, we're coming across the same idea. The point is that we are acknowledging who he is through his names. And I think that's the main point of all of this is when we address him, don't forget who he is. Take the time. And I I would say that's one of the biggest aspects of prayer that this book has had on me is to take your time when you pray. Don't rush through it. Be intentional. Say, you know, be willing to address God and his attributes and to consider who he is and how he is and uh, where he is in your relationship with him and not be a, not just try to rush through it. I mean, I know that we're supposed to have reverence for the office. <clears throat> I'll be honest, I would have a little trouble saying, you know, you know, honorable, uh, uh, I can't think of the name. Uh, anyways, to some of the judges out there, I would have a lot of trouble saying honorable so-and-so, and yet... Yeah, because I don't respect who they are. I'm saying as a, as a person, I would probably have a little bit of trouble saying, you know, calling Joe Biden, you know, the president or anything other than Sleepy Joe. Um, but that's irreverent, and so I, I realize that. But we wouldn't do it, right? We wouldn't disrespect a human by calling them a nickname or... Um, that word you just said, respect. That's with all myself. Yeah. We wouldn't be flippant in what we called them because we, we understand that there are, there are potential repercussions in that. Mike? <clears throat> the one thing I was thinking of was we were talking about Gentiles called some, and I was just reminded about the woman at the well. She called them rabbis. So, we've got a reference here. So, Theos. Yeah. Yeah, so I don't know what the most used was. So, Theos is an appellative. The Christian, like the Jew, and many pagans avoided naming his God and referred to him as the God. So, all right.
Anything else on 66? Grace? Okay, I do too. But before that, so I'm, I had two stars on this page. So I'm going to do my first one since nobody else did. That first full paragraph, while we may cringe and actually voice displeasure when we hear someone taking God's name in vain, we would do well to examine our own heart attitude. Indifference and lack of respect do his name from those who love him may be just as heinous a sin. In one of the previous chapters, he talked about how, you know, if we see somebody uh, committing a gross sin, we think, oh man, what a sinner. And yet, how often do we overlook someone um, who says that they love God disregarding him or uh, showing a lack of faith in which would be a greater sin, that of ignorance or that of, uh, I don't know the exact word, but if we are held to a higher accountability if we know him and if we know of him. So that would be in, in a right estimation a greater crime against God when we sin, when we are flippant, when we are dismissive of God and who he is, more so than somebody who doesn't know him and them sinning against him because they don't have a reference, reference point. Grace? A.W. Tozer said, the most important thing about a man is what he believes about God. And he said, no nation, as an example, ever rises above their view of their God. If they have a view of God as... So look at the Romans. Their view of gods were basically powerful... Uh, Powerful beings that were just like them. Selfish, greedy, uh, murderous, conniving. They, they believed that their gods were immortal versions of people. And what was their society like? Completely derelict. Completely overrun by sin. And, you know, you can look at the examples all around the world. Our view of God should affect how we live. And the more we understand him, the more it should affect us. All right, anything on 67? Oh, Corey.
So many of you know Bill Wilson. And he was famous for saying, if they're not saved, I'm not praying for their health. I'm praying for their salvation. You know. So, and I can appreciate that because that is their greatest need. Yes? And so when we were trying to teach the kids how to, how to pray, we said, okay, if they're not saved and you don't know what to pray for, pray for their salvation. If they are saved and you don't know what to pray for, pray for their sanctification. That is the greatest need of a Christian, to be sanctified, to be made holy. And the greatest need for an unbeliever is to be saved. So, yes, I, I think there is an element of narcissism in our prayers in that we feel more virtuous if we pray for these little temporal things. Either that or laziness. Jonathan? Oh, Sandra? Yeah, and there, I think there's a circular relationship there. <clears throat> we don't get saved and automatically understand everything about God. We get saved because we understood something. We understood one of the most important aspects of God in his sacrifice and in our sin, right? So we had a, a, a right understanding of that. And that should draw us to pray out of thankfulness, out of um, deep appreciation, and yet, that's not enough. We need to understand more about God, so we need to spend more time in his word, studying it, reading, um, learning from those who are teaching, so that our understanding becomes greater and that reverence for who he is can become more real. Because it's unfortunately not enough to know that he saved us, to drive us to our knees in complete humility and, and reverence. There needs to be, that seems to be part of the, the sanctification process. Over time, we gain a greater understanding of who he is, and then we are able to pray more. And I think one of the biggest problems that's most Christians have is since there isn't a great need on a day-to-day -day basis, we don't spend as much time in prayer as we should. 
because we do view God, whether we say it out loud or not, we do view him as, forgive the irreverence, a heavenly vending machine. When we want something, we go to him. And that seems to be the majority of our prayers. If we rightly understood who he is and what he's doing and what he wants to do in us and through us, we would probably pray more and we would probably pray more reverently. I mean, consider this. We'll do a little experiment here. How many here have been saved for more than 10 years? All right. Now, of everybody that raised their hand, how many of you have, before this, ever read a book about prayer or studied anything about prayer? Okay, so a little bit more than half. So, does that affect how we pray? It should. Should we be taking the time to learn? It's not just... It, it's interesting. Prayer is something that anybody can do, and yet, the more we understand who God is, the more we can do it in a way that is in line with what He has told us to do. So, I believe God adores the prayers of a new believer as simple as they are, as imperfect as they are, but as we go, as we grow, as we learn, our prayers should change. Not that they have to be fancy, but they, they should be more intentional, more accurate to the character of God. And as we understand better who he is, we, have the, we should have the ability to, to pray more in line with that. Sam? Yeah, that's a, this is a great example. You know, when the, think about the, the first time, you know, if you're a parent, the first time your child says mama or dada, I mean, man, it just brings a, such a great joy to your heart. And I think the first time uh, a sinner repents and prays to God, no matter how feeble it is, God appreciates it. God enjoys it. But, yeah. As you get a little bit older, you know, as a teenager, hey, ma, you know, doesn't cut it. You know, you need to show a little bit of respect. Jonathan? And that's the key element. If we don't rightly associate, or not associate, if we don't rightly realize what His holiness means and what our sinfulness means and the, the great divide that has been bridged through Christ and all the aspects of that and how it relates to how we do live, how we should live, and what is to come. 
we're not going to, to pray in a way that is in line with who he is. All right, 67. Norma. Right, and I think that's, again, one of the reasons why he starts it off with, hallowed be your name, because it is a reminder of who he is, and we need to be reminded. And again, that's why I think it's important for us to understand his character and to be willing to identify those character traits when we pray to help guide us and to have, our right, have the right mindset as we pray. All right, 67 or 68? Jonathan? Yeah. That's the goal for us to have a greater understanding of who he is. And I think, so consider Paul for a second. When Paul wrote that he was the chief of all sinners, was that relatively short after, after his conversion? No, it was much later. I mean, probably, if I remember correctly, at least 20 years, if not longer. With sanctification comes a greater understanding of our own sin and a greater understanding as well in who God is. And we become more acutely aware of our sin as we grow in holiness and that, I believe, is one of the key, character, key uh, components of humility. A true, a right understanding of our sinfulness. Not necessarily who we are today, but definitely in part of who we were yesterday. Because Paul is not... I imagine Paul, when he said that, he wasn't just thinking about what he did that day per se. He was thinking about the entire work of his life. And yet, no doubt there was an element of him maybe even considering how wicked he, his thoughts were. And he most likely was more aware of certain aspects of sin then than he was when he first became a follower of Christ. So... That's what it seems to be as we go, as we grow in our relationship with God. There's never a time where we don't recognize some sin in our life. We become more acutely aware, and by God's grace, we sin less in certain areas. But then we notice something else. You know, like, anybody ever read the book Respectable Sins? I mean, 
there's at least, I think it's 10, 10 sins listed in there. And it's things that we normally ignore, things that we normally don't talk about, things that unless somebody... reads this book or um, is more uh, acutely aware, you don't even think about it. Like frustration. Anybody in here get frustrated? Guess what? That's a sin. Frustration is a sin. How many messages have you heard about the, frustra- the sin of frustration? I don't know if I've ever heard one. Right. So there's a lot of things that are sinful and I think the key is for us to understand it, to acknowledge it, to pray about it, to um, realize that even if we're not doing those, those gross sins, we're not good people. Just the sin of frustration alone is enough to spend eternity in hell because it's a lack of trust and faith in God. All right, 68. Absolutely. All right, 68. All right, I'll go then. Uh, I got another star, that middle paragraph. By focusing our thoughts on God's name, our Lord is teaching us that God's name signifies much more than his titles. It represents all that he is, his character, his plan, and will. Again, it's been said a few times, but when we say, when we reference God in the names that we have throughout the Bible, they represent who he is. And I think it's helpful to know some of those names. So, real quick, uh, he mentions a few on the next page, or on, uh, I think it's 70. Yeah. So, There are many lists, and I found a really good book that has um, many of the names of God. I I can share this article in in an email, but I think it's good to be somewhat familiar with some of these names. You know, so for example, um, it's not on many lists, but it is on this list, Alhane Iman. Not that you have to know how to pronounce that, right? But it means faithful God. If there, I mean, obviously, there are God's incommunicable attributes that we can't come close to. And, you know, faithfulness, his faithfulness is perfect. And, if there's ever something to be thankful for, 
that's one of them for sure, for God's faithfulness. So understanding that aspect of his character should play a role in our prayers. Thank you for being the faithful God. Thank you for being a God that we can trust in every circumstance. And as we're able to pray that and understand that, that will affect how we live. All right, 69. Corey? Yeah, I would imagine there was definitely an aspect of that with the Jews in particular because they were the ones he revealed himself to. Yeah, I, I can't speak specifically on that, but I would imagine when they consider certain names, they think of certain times. Yeah. Yeah. All right, 69, Grace. Right, and so just like the Bible, we don't worship the Bible. We worship the God of the Bible. We don't worship the names of God. We worship the God of those names. So, yes, we need to have a right relationship and understanding of that. And he gives a great example. Uh, Where is it at? Well, I mean, David in the Psalms, uh, mentioning God and there's certain names in certain circumstances. But there are certain times when a name has more meaning. So I remember hearing a story of uh, one of the presidents, I don't remember which one, and, you know, the inner cabinet could come to his come to the Oval Office, um, but the Secret Service would not let anybody that didn't have clearance in. And yet, his daughter or granddaughter—I don't remember which one it was—you know—comes running in and jumps on his lap, and you know, she knew him, and he had, but she didn't have clearance. She didn't have, you know, <laughs> the obviously the Secret Service let her go by, but. Because of that relationship, he was more than Mr. President. He was daddy or grandpa or whatever. 
So in, the, in certain instances, like we were talking last week, Father, right? Today we're talking about the names that reference God's holiness and uh, identify his character. <clears throat> but last week we were talking about the fact that he is also our Father and that we have the privilege of coming to him as such. So there's, I don't want to say a duality, but there is, there, there's both sides. We have the ability to come to him as our, our loving, caring, patient father, but he is the king of kings. and We cannot forget that. All right, page 70. Anyone? Robert? Starting with Tuhalo? Okay, me too. I've got it starred too. So go. And that's the whole point when we are praying to show him honor and to glorify him for who he is, to acknowledge it. And that's why I, I do believe even in corporate prayer, it's appropriate. Now, should we spend three minutes naming all of God's attributes in a corporate prayer? Not necessarily, but mentioning a few of his, his character traits I think would be helpful um, at minimum for a reminder, but ultimately we must remember we are not praying to the audience. We are praying to God and we should be willing and faithful to pray in a way that we know honors Him. And like we've said in the past, there are going to be different lengths of prayers and different circumstances, different approaches, and yet there are some things that should be constant. When we get to one of the, the future chapters, uh, a comment was, is made, I think by one of the rabbis, that any prayer that does not consider the kingdom of God is not a prayer worthy of speaking. Something to consider. All right, page 71. Norma? Absolutely. Yeah, and obviously 
Jesus, through his, you know, going back to what Corey said, through his parables, through his miracles, he was uh, referred to as different names, and many times names that he gave himself to illustrate God's character. Anything else on 71? Pastor. So I'm thinking about where it says to pray hallowed your name is to attribute to God the holiness that's his and has always been supreme and unique because in that I think our prayer is not how do I say this? be your name is not for God's benefit, it's for the benefit of people who are listening. Because we're not adding or changing anything to God. Right. Long? Tedious, I think, was the word I was going to use. So I, I think if we see that as the epitome, we're starting to lose the previous point, which is he is our father. If you came to your dad, you wouldn't say, oh, father, provider of the meals all throughout the day and buyer of all good things for me to enjoy. Like, I mean, I suppose you could, but it'd be weird. Just You, you know I'd be weird, though, because... We are not reverenced by our children. <laughs> well, Braden can show reverence and respect to me without, without all that. Language, sure. So. At the same time, if he said, Sarah, I'm assuming Sarah is making most of the meals. <laughs> Sarah, your meals are fantastic, and I look forward to them every time you're cooking. Thank you. You know, there's, there's a, you know, it doesn't have to be flowery, but it can be noteworthy. Yeah, but that's my point. My point is that it's conversational. Right. And so a lot of the prayers that we pray in public toward God, I was even thinking about that about when I prayed at the beginning of the service, 
are very much directed toward the people who are listening and not toward God. And again, going back to this example in Acts 4, they said something about God. They said, God, you made the earth, which is a fact. They're showing reverence for God because if you acknowledge that, you're acknowledging his power and his control and all those sorts of things. And they said, and you said that you were going to show forth your power against the nation, Psalms 2. And then they said, you know what's going on. So they reverence him, they're acknowledging the fact that he knows all things. I'm just saying I feel like you can reverence God without. It's kind of like in a story if you just say what's going on and you don't have the character turn to the audience and say, and at this point, and go on for like three pages. Right. Yeah, so one thing I would comment on with what you said, where it's for those who are listening, I think that's a byproduct. I think it's primarily for the person that's speaking. Because they are the one communicating with God. And if we consider prayer, it is ultimately to change the person that is praying, and yet when there is an audience, it will have an effect when done correctly. Has anybody ever prayed in front of an unbeliever and prayed with your heart, not a, not a canned prayer, just a very simple, heartfelt, honest prayer, and they're just like, wow, I never heard anybody pray like that. And it was not profound, it was just you being open and honest and vulnerable and, and humble to God. It's, it's interesting because most prayers that people hear religious people pray are flowery, wordy, you know, in the King James, you know, whatever. And that's what people hear and think, oh, that must be what it is. But that's not, that's not what prayer is. That's... Those are not the key components to prayer. Flowery, huh? Right. Yeah, and I think grocery list prayers are one of the biggest ruts that we fall into. You know, we, we come up with a prayer list, and we, sit, we got all these unsaved people over here. God save Joe, save Sarah, save Rex, save John, save uh, Margaret, whatever. Yes. And I think, don't get me wrong, I've made, a, I've made many comments about what I believe. So when Kim and I got married, and oh, and she, she, she yelled at me, she yelled at me because she listened to the, the talk from last week and how I was saying I have nobody to go to, to share things with, and she's like, what about me? <laughs> And I, I didn't say specifically, you know, uh, a mature Christian man or a father figure. That's what I was really looking at. Looking at. Uh, so I do have those things with her. It's just, it's a little bit different. I'm trying to make up for last week, now she's going to listen to you. Right, exactly. <laughs> <laughs> well, you know what's funny is I, I said... I really look forward to enjoying your meals this week. <laughs> <laughs> I said, should I say something next week? She said, only if it comes up. It, it just came up, so, you know. 
when we first got married, I said, I am fully convinced of my convictions and will make decisions for our family based on those, on the, on those, spe those specific convictions until they change. Well, my point was, I'm going to do my best to stay faithful with what I believe, but I'm also going to be flexible to realize that I don't know everything. And I think to a certain extent, when we are approaching God, our prayers should evolve. And I have made some comments that I am fully convinced of, which you may not be. And if you're not, I'm not mad at you. So understand that none of us here are better than another in God's eyes. That being said, we all are responsible to continue to pursue holiness, to continue to strive after God and not rest on our laurels and not be stuck in a rut in any way, shape, or form spiritually. We all need a fire under us to keep going. So I hope that if I have said something that rubbed you the wrong way, it spurs you on to growth. If not, I apologize. All right. So, that being said, one of the convictions that I have come to, or, uh, and we'll, we'll stop here for tonight, one of the conclusions I have come to, because God reveals himself through Scripture, through these names, and I, I don't know if you remember, I, I mentioned something to you, Pastor, when we were going through this book with the teens. I am convinced if we only ever address God as God in our prayers, it is a sin. And here's what I mean by that. He's given us over 30 names. He's revealed himself through his character in so many ways and for us to only refer to him as God, I believe we are doing him a great disservice. Now, is somebody intentionally sinning if they did that? No, not necessarily. And yet, we can sin by the sin of omission. And I believe if we are pursuing God, if we are pursuing holiness, we will have a greater understanding and a greater capacity to reference him more than just God. So that is my conviction. Whether it is yours or not, that's fine. But I believe in this instruction that Jesus gave us, he wanted us to reverence God. And in, to do that, we need to consider the names that he has revealed himself through and it's not that we have to list all of them. Like you said, Pastor, it's not that we say, Dear God, you are good, you are great, you are awesome, you are omnipotent, omniscient, omnipresent, uh, thank you. you know, just saying the words is not the point. It's understanding. It's taking the time to understand 
those names to understand who he is and to genuinely pray to him because of who he is. It's not for show, it's for his glory. Let's pray. Lord God Almighty, you are the only God. You are a perfect, righteous, and holy God. And we only understand that to a certain extent. We are limited in realizing what perfection is. Thank you for your faithfulness. Thank you for your provision. Not just of our food, our clothing, our shelter, but the provision of reconciliation. Please impress upon our hearts a greater desire to know you, to love you, to live for you. Use us, Lord so that the name of Jesus Christ would be magnified. Use us so that you would receive glory on heaven and earth.